and welcome to CigarCast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Crown Cigars and Ales here in beautiful Brentwood, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Devin. I'm joined as I am every week by Mr. Shane Reeves. I always feel like when you grow your beard and mustache out that I'm doing a podcast with Trey's evil twin. <laughs> but I've got the beard more often than I don't. No, well, but when you come in here and you're all clean-shaven and your hair's trimmed up, because right now your hair's kind of wild, too. Well, it's ridiculously windy today. But I, but I sort of have that vibe that I've got the evil twin version of Trey. Actually, for listeners of last week's show will know that you were sitting with my evil twin then. <laughs> <laughs> At all, but... It is time, that time of year when the weather is beautiful. You know, if there has ever been a more beautiful day, I don't remember when it was. This is the hardest weather for me to get to the gym. Because when I'm done walking the dog in the morning and it's you so beautiful stay outside, outside. Yeah, it's like I could, I could go to the gym and then I'm inside the gym or I can hit, hit another mile or two with the Labrador. Mile yeah. up the Labrador a little. Yeah. At all. It's we just, took Oscar for a, about a mile walk the other night. Man, he loved it. Oh, yeah. They just they just absolutely. It was like, I think it was Monday night when it stayed warm after the sun went down and we were able to just walk around the neighborhood for the first time in a while. It was awesome. Well, we've got a bunch to cover tonight. We've got all kinds of content. We do. So why don't we jump right into it? Why don't you tell the listeners what you're smoking? Tonight? Oh, how about that? I'm I, honored. I'm smoking a gift from a dear friend. I thoroughly appreciate it. My birthday is the 14th, which will have come and gone by the time you hear this. But last night we had a poker game, and my wife surprised me and brought a cake and invited a bunch of friends, and it was really sweet of her. I have the most wonderful wife in the world. She does that I stuff think she'd so agree well. with you. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> and for my birthday, Trey got for me a Liga Pravada number no. 9 Toro Oscuro. Now, this cigar is a Nicaraguan binder and filler, and it is an Oscuro wrapper. Now, I had to do a little dig. Do you know what Oscuro wrapper means? I have looked it up before, but the definition escapes me. So the Oscuro is actually a type of double Maduro. But to be a true double Maduro, it would have to have the wrapper as well as the filler be Maduro. This is just a kind of extra strong wrapper. Okay. And it gives it that silky, deep, rich black feeling and all. I'm, I'm still trying to get back to smoking a little lower level of cigar, but I, when you gave this to me last night, I said, i got to smoke that on the podcast tomorrow night. That's, that's the perfect cigar for the pot. I actually already had one in my mouth that somebody else had given me for my birthday, so I decided I would wait and do this one. Well, I, I can't wait. I know that you got into the tubos for a while. Uh, towards the middle of last year, so I knew that was going to be right up your alley. Oh, look at that wrapper! That That's is just beautiful. oily and rich and beautiful. Yeah. Well, my the cigar I'm smoking tonight is is not nearly of that caliber, although uh, I have smoked probably the nicest cigar I'm going to smoke all year earlier this week, which we can talk about in a little bit. Um, but tonight I'm smoking a cigar that I've never had before, from a manufacturer I've never had before. This is from JFR. And this is the JFR Junior Maduro. I'm smoking the Robusto because this is the size that Austin had in. Um, he, it, this goes back to marketing. We talked about it when he first started doing that new cigar tag he has in the humidor. And it just kind of drew me to it. And I was like, you know, I really haven't smoked this cigar before, but it looks good. And looking at the recipe, I, I have a feeling I'm going to like it. It's made in the Casa Fernandez factory, which there's two points for it right there. Uh, it's a Maduro wrapper over a mix of Nicaraguan filler and binder. So it, you know, it, it, I have, uh, I have a pretty good feeling. It's it's going to be a shorter smoke because robusto is not a size I typically smoke, but uh, I'm I'm in, I'm looking forward to it. Well, JFR are great cigars. The Lunatic I really enjoy, and it's a really large ring gauge cigar. The JFR Lunatic. The pricing on the JFRs is outstanding. Um, the feel, the quality. I mean, the JFR could very easily fall into somebody's workhorse smoke category. And that was the thing that really impressed me when I picked this up. I was going to pick it up last week, but, you know, the, the thing, I think this is under $7. Yeah. Yeah, and even the Lunatic that's 7 by 60 is still, I think it's eight fifty. 
it's still a super reasonably yeah. priced for the quality of cigar they are. It's a it's, it's hard a pretty to amazing bargain. Yeah. I mean, it's no League of Nine, but what well, is? <laughs> exactly. But I am really in. I'm really excited to smoke this cigar because I haven't smoked a League of Nine regular for probably been a year or two. I've smoked a couple of T57s, but to just sit down and enjoy a Liga, I haven't done it in a little while. Yeah, see, I was, I was the, the original. I know that you prefer the T52 to the number nine, so that was originally what I was going to grab for you because I knew for your birthday it had to be something from Drew Estates, and uh, mostly because I can't afford Padron. But <laughs> the uh, but when I saw that there, it just kind of screamed Shane at me. It was it was an excellent choice, the the best birthday present for the man who has everything, at all. And, and there's a lot of times in life I feel like I have it all. I mean, you certainly live your life that way. It, it's actually I'm in the process of taking classes and getting another certification and another degree and all that. And it's actually, I do kind of live a life of leisure, which has made this going to classes a lot harder. Yeah. At all, it's I, I was my pain threshold has weakened on doing stuff I have to do. If that makes any sense at all. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. Just like every other muscle, it's one that has to be flexed or you lose it. But being as I lit up a liga, first thing I want to cover. This happened a couple of weeks ago, actually February fourteenth, back around Valentine's Day, and because we've had a couple of shows here and there, we never actually got to cover it. But. When you look at the Liga wrapper, you see the classic Drew Estate lion. Uh-huh. And you see so much of the artwork is a part of the culture of Drew Estate. It really is. Funny thing about that, the, the Liga 9 logo, or the Liga logo. We were at uh, dinner with some friends many months ago. It would have been probably summer or just turning fall. So this is a long, it was about half a year ago. And our waiter was wearing a ring on one of his fingers, and it was that logo. And I was like, hey, our waiter is a cigar guy. All right. <laughs> and I asked him about it, and he had no clue what it was. He, he, had, he was like, is that a cigar thing? He's like, I just I saw it, and I thought it was cool. Kyle, we found who broke into your car in Atlanta. <laughs> we know where he is. Our local Drew Estate rep's car got broke into in Atlanta. Oh, my gosh. He and, he and I can commiserate on that. Yeah, so, um, Kyle, we, we've got a lead. We finally <laughs> got a break in that case. Well, this was, this was six months ago. So this, but, but it was just funny because, it, to your point about how much the artwork is a part of that brand, it has even gotten outside of the cigar world. Well, and that kind of relates to this story. Jesse Flores, who is the mastermind behind the Drew Estate art style, has left Drew Estate. Oh, He's going to pursue new business ventures. Um, it don't say what those are. And all he's been, um, he was a street artist in Esteli, Nicaragua in 1999. So 20 years he's been with Drew Estate. That's yeah. where Jonathan Drew picked him up. Okay. And his artwork is very iconic, and he's got a very original style. I don't think we ever as a culture acknowledge the amount of, People think that people that have artistic ability are just touched by God and have this artistic ability. Yeah, but it's, it, again, just like anything, it takes practice. Yeah, he had to build his style, and he had to decide what parts of his style he liked, what parts of his style he didn't like. And I don't think we ever give artists enough credit. No, and then I think that goes to the point, you know, you always talk about how artists are never appreciated in their lifetime, and I think that kind of goes back to it, you know, someone who's pushing the envelope in at the time is just going to be seen as kind of out there and wild and different. But, you know, after you had time to kind of digest their style and, and what they were trying to accomplish and stuff like that, it, it makes it easier to appreciate it. Well, with the worst thing you can say about any artist, about any artist whatsoever, whether it be um, an actor, whether it be a wrestler, whether it be a painter, whoever is, he's not getting any better. He's just doing what he does. Right. And he's not expanding or broadening. And Jesse Flores has always been broadening that skill set. Well, and I think um, kind of along that lines, you, you know, Nickelback is the most hated band in the kind of ethos. You know, everyone, they're kind of widely regarded as this band that everyone hates. And the thing is, they were wildly popular for a point in the early 2000s, late 90s. And if you look at 
what most of the complaint is the fact that their sound never changed. You know, so like you said, their their crime is not their music. It's the fact that it's the same. Right. Versus other bands, like I think Radiohead's a perfect example of it. Like one album to the next, they don't sound the same. You know, the they're range growing. of a Rolling they're, Stones. Yeah. And the Beatles, for that matter. Yeah. There's a big difference in that. But, so, I love when I can make a, a high-quality segue. Speaking of terrible va- bands, Millie Vanilli, Blame It on the Rain. The Dominican tobacco crop is going to be one of the best ever this year. Because of all the rain? Because of the drought. Oh. They're right the opposite because... There's been so little rain, the water that they have given to the tobacco has all been through irrigation, so they have been able to better control it. Ah. And so it's going to be a lower yield tobacco crop, but it's going to be of much higher quality. Interesting. I'll be, I'll be really interested to see what that does when those cigars get to production next year. Well, and that's, you know, how long is it going to be before they get to production? Is it going to be four years from now before we actually smoke a you know, a 2019 Dominican tobacco, or is it quicker? What's the, what's the average length of time? Do you know this? I think it's about two years. I think so. You know, I've asked Pedro this question a couple of times because I'm always interested, and he's like, you can't put a clock on it because every tobacco leaf is different. Right. But if, if we're talking averages, I think we'd say it's probably about two years. And, it's, and if I had to guess, I mean, obviously, they're going to have to keep up with production to a certain extent. But if I had to guess as much as possible, they're probably going to try and hold on to that tobacco and use it for special releases if it is going to be as high a quality as they're saying. Well, they I mean, were, I would. So... Uh, Lito Gomez of La Flor Dominica, he says this is a historic crop. They produ- they um, grew more than 100 acres of Piloto Cubana on La Canela Farm. And I hate to say bad things about LFD, but they have production issues anyway. They're kind of well known for being really behind on backorder, stuff like that. So uh, while the quality is great, limiting their quantity of yield is good. <laughs> probably not do some great things to their production. Yeah, there's going to be some issues, but it's the it's a Padron theory. You know, Padron grows smaller tobacco plants, right. and they have more flavor. So it's going to be really interesting. Um, I don't blame it on the rain as often as Millie Vanilli would like me to, but I do think that this is going to be, in two years, I think we may look back and see some special releases, and if this really is a legendary tobacco crop, how much better it could be. Yeah, and, and I think as we start to see those, th- that is one thing I wish cigar manufacturers would do a little bit better job of is, you know, we always see the, you know, Nicaraguan binder and filler or Dominican whatever, you know. I, I would love it if someone would go into depths of being, you know, this is a Ecuadorian Habano wrapper from 2006 or, you know, Paul Grammarian does that. I mean, there's a couple of other people that, that do occasionally you'll see it, but I would love to know, I mean, the uh, the winemakers always put the year, the vintage on their on their product. I would love to see cigar manufacturers start to do the same. Yeah, it would be nice, but I think it's cultural. The cigar industry strives for consistency, consistency. year to year. Yeah, a- absolutely. But when you have things like this that influence that that do create a difference year to year, you know, you're you know. I would just, I would love to, especially if, if for nothing else, I'd love to be able to, you know, sit on a box and know when it was from rather than having to draw on it with China marker or something like that. Right. Try to figure it out. Yeah. So need to hit a little bit of legislative action real quick. All right. I'm not going to hit much of this because it really bothers me. Um, we talked last week about Scott, Scott Gottlieb yes. leaving the FDA. Dr. Norman E. Sharpless, director of the National Cancer Institute, will become an actor director of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Why? Uh, what? I mean, I, mm, I struggle with this because the FDA, I mean, the, the second initial drug, like, yeah, you, you do want someone with a bit of a medical background and th- that kind of, for that aspect of things, but we don't really hear much out of the FDA. I mean, there's, they do testing and medical things and stuff like that. In fact, I was at the eye doctor today and, and I was asking her about new contacts. I've, you don't wear glasses. So, um, 
transition lenses are became really popular in the late '90s, early 2000s. Yeah, I had them. I used to wear glasses. Oh, okay. AccuView has come out with contacts with transition lens technology. And I was like, that's the closest thing to a superpower I'm ever going to get. So I was like, can I get, like, like, write me a script for those. And she was like, and the eye doctor had never heard of it. And it turns out they're still in FDA testing. So that's a long rabbit trail to say, like, I understand the FDA does more than just ruin our lives on the cigar side of things. But at the same time, I, the with everything that's going on for us as enthusiasts of this hobby, I feel like... There's, we're going to lose the forest for the trees. Well, first, I do have to touch on something there. I want them to get contacts that when I get angry, my eyes will, like, turn the color of Bruce Banner's on the Incredible <laughs> Hulk right before he hulked out. That would really be what I would like to have. <laughs> mood contacts? Yeah, mood contacts. <laughs> I think that would be be very handy at several... I, I, actually, I would like to strap them on my wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a lot handier than them being on me. But... Uh, I, I just talked about how wonderful she is, mm-hmm. and now, but the other thing, yeah, you giveth and taketh away. I will say the articles I've read, and I've read articles from Half Wheel. I've read articles from um, Cigar Aficionado. Nobody is rushing to judgment on this guy, and that's the key. I think you know, I, I my snap judgment was to be worried, but at the same time, you really can't. The proof will be in the pudding. And well, and cancer is such a wide variety of types right. to say, oh, it's it's the cancer doctor. He's going to slam all forms of tobacco. He would like for none of us to smoke and all of us to sit around at home and twiddle our thumbs and send him checks when we got a chance. Right. But we don't, we, you know, yeah, you're right. We don't, we don't know what's going to flesh out with this. And, and, yeah, you hear that word when it comes to the smoking and you get nervous. But there's, you know, it, who knows what could come of it. But in the realm of bad news, the FDA announced its new rules for e-cigarettes. And basically, they're trying to kill flavored e-cigarettes, and they're going to try to have a separate place in convenience stores to buy that. And, okay, explain this to me. The rule is, okay, we don't want no more flavored available, and we want a separate place that you have to be 18, 21, whatever to enter to buy e-cigarette juice. Oh, and we'd like flavored cigars gone too. See, I thought I read a headline that they changed the rules on that, but maybe it was just to make it worse. Well, this came out today, and okay. that's what they started. They're doing, they started the process in full force. And basically, they want flavored cigars. But all non-flavored cigars and there will be a grandfather clause for all flavored cigars made before 2007. What? Don't get me started on that. So it might it might not affect it might, you know, okay. I, but I, I really hate this retroactive 2007. It is 2019. It is that was 12 years ago. You should not be able to be able to reach back to before Justin Bieber was popular and be able to pull out some arbitrary date of when I had to be producing this. It should start from the day you announce it. It's, yeah, it's really, of course, everything to do with the government's goofed up. I have, yeah. And all. It's anytime you get a body of people together and you say, okay, I would like your position to be tell other people what to do with their life, you're not going to get any good out of it. Right. I mean, look at the Stanford Prison Experiment. Exactly. I, hey, that's weird. I was actually thinking of that very same thing, the Stanford study. Yeah. And, I'll, and it, Would you like to explain the Stanford study, or would you like me but to explain Basically, it? what it proved, and we can go into the details of how they figured it out, but, but what it proved is that if you have absolute... Uh, humans with absolute authority over other humans will basically inevitably... Um, wield that power in an unsavory way. Right. They will abuse it. They if will you, abuse if they it. Have, regardless of the quality of people, because the Stanford students, these were very educated people. They were very woken people. And they gave them power over another segment of the student body, and it became a barbaric melee in no time. Yeah, they had to cancel the experiment. There was a, there was a movie made about it fairly recently that I just caught part of. I don't know that I'd be able to watch the whole thing, because some of the reports of, of what was going on during this are just abhorrent. 
Um, but yeah, basically, they, it was a bunch of Stanford students, and they arbitrarily, you guys are the prisoners, you guys are the prison guards, have at it. And it just, I mean, Thunderdome doesn't even begin to explain the kind of things that went on in that. Yeah, it's, it's hilarious that you and I both thought of the Stanford experiment at the same time. Yeah. And uh, because I just read a book recently that re- that referenced that very thing, and if you if you haven't researched it, research it a little. It really gives you an insight into the darker side of what human nature is. Yeah. And why, you know, people can say, "Oh, Shane's all conservative and all hates all government," and they're probably right. But there's also facts that back up that if you don't have oversight, you do have overreach. It's true. And that, and that goes on both sides, whether it's just inherent humanity or if it comes to, you know, bigger things like government or other programs that have regulatory authority over others. So, going to get away from the legislative stuff. I think we've, we've thoroughly smacked that horse around. Um, I had the opportunity to smoke the number one cigar of the year this week. Oh, excellent. The E.P. Carrillo Encore Majestic. What did you think? It was excellent. Uh, it wasn't a seven. We're going to revisit the scale later. But it wasn't a seven, but it was a solid, it was a real high six. Oh, wow. I mean, it was very, it was by far the best Carrillo I've ever smoked. And beat out, it was, it exceeded my expectations. Excellent. That's, I mean, that's very high praise. Well, usually when you get the number one cigar of the year, we've we've pitched our conspiracy theories, mainly me, about the number one cigar being related to how many ads you bought in Cigar Aficionado this right. year. But I can say, having smoked this cigar, it's pretty darn good. Yeah. I mean, it's... I don't think it's better than the Ramon Iones, but I can see how this cigar how you could pitch this cigar to me that it is worth being number one because I can see this cigar appealing to a much broader range of palettes yeah. than just mine. Right. So if you put a, a, a panel of people together to reach a consensus, you probably will land on this cigar. I can see that. I, I still haven't seen one. I need to get my hands on it. Did you get it up at the other shop? Yeah, they have it up there. Oh. And I'll, um, So the class I'm taking is actually above a cigar shop. And I'll, it was is, destiny. It was. It was destiny. And I went in there and, okay, this cigar shop, we're not going to call them by name because I don't want to say anything bad about them. And I'll, because, I mean, it's obviously people are working very hard and they're doing very good. And it's a shop I go into all the time. I feel, I think very highly of it, but I understand your criticism for lack of a better term. Well, their humidor is excellent, if a little chaotic. Extraordinarily chaotic, but... It's because they've been around for years, and they've just, you know, with all the stuff, they get basically everything. And so they've just run out of space. They even have a Davidoff white label cabinet, as well as two other cabinet humidors out in the body of the shop because they can't contain everything in the walk-in. And even that, they've got stuff piled up on the counter. They've got stuff on the floor. They've got cigars everywhere. I walked into the lounge, and it felt like I was walking back into the 1970s. There's actually a desk in the corner, and if there's not a bookie sitting behind that desk come (laughs) football season, I will eat this cigar I'm smoking rather than smoke it. (laughs) Because it looked just like the kind of place that you would call and place, you know, 20 on a 5-10 split between the Broncos and the Raiders. It looked exa- it, it looked like the times that the guy's not sitting behind there, a 1970s Burt Reynolds should be laying across it. <laughs> it's wood paneling. It's drop ceiling stained from many years of cigar smoke. Oh, yeah. The air purifier sounds like a 67 Volkswagen that needs a muffler job. The chairs, I, I'll guarantee you there's chairs in there older than you. Oh, yeah, there absolutely are. And there's a lounge in the back, too. Yeah, that's where I'm talking about. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about the one up front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the one in the front's got these two weird chairs just sitting out in the middle of the floor. Not facing anybody else, facing the TV. Yeah. Now smoking on the main stage, <laughs> Shane. <laughs> Sit down and lit a cigar. Somebody stuck a dollar bill in my lighter pack. But it's just um, this store, if ever there was a store and an opportunity, this store represents an opportunity. Somebody should go buy that store, drop a couple of hundred grand in it, 
and totally retrofit it. Because size-wise, it's incredible. I mean, locations they've got a, awesome. Locations also, and their prices. That's one of the things. So, this is one of the things I really love about that shop. They still do all of their pricing with a sticker gun. What that means is anything when you have price increases, they don't increase their price on the stuff that's already there. They just do it as moving forward. So you can get cigars that are a few years old if they are not moving, and they're still what they cost two years ago. Well, the, there you go. There's how you date your cigars. You look back and see what the price of yeah. it was two years ago and <laughs> go into this particular this, shop and find one that price, you know, the date. This Romeo and Juliet's six bucks? What? <laughs> you cross-reference that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a three-year-old cigar. You know, it's a it's an interesting lounge. It's an old throwback. I guess throwback would be the polite term. Yeah. But if ever there was an opportunity for somebody to buy a lounge, totally retrofit it, clean out the humidor... That being said, I think the ownership does a lot for that cigar shop in why it has the the quality of the selection and all of that. You know, I would I would actually hate to see someone else buy that shop because I I think they would make it worse more likely than make it better. Um, I don't know. I I think there's, there's a passion in that shop that I, I think comes directly from the ownership. I, I can understand that, and I can understand the character of the shop, but I think you could clean it up without damaging the character. You definitely could, but it's whether or not someone would. I mean, you know, last night before the poker game, we were all sitting here, and the masochist holding the remote control was flipping between two different Bond movies. It wasn't me. No, it was a, it was a different masochist. <laughs> he was flipping between two different Bond movies at the same time. Both Daniel Craig Bond movies. It was Skyfall and... Spectre. Spectre. And, okay, can we not slap a coat of paint on the secret hideout? (laughs) Every time they went to the secret hideout, it was dark, dank. I mean, obviously had mold issues. I mean, you're you're a mold guy. I'm sure you could identify five or six different kinds of mold. Yeah, exactly. Okay, Bond, here's the deal. Instead of an Aston Martin this year, you're going to drive a... A Volvo. Yeah, a Volvo or something sensible. Something a little less spy. And we're going we're gonna to pull the, paint, pull the paneling off the wall, slap a coat of paint on the cigar shop. Yeah, the thing, you know, especially down in Q Branch, you've got stuff blowing up. You, you imagine how much paint you would go through if you had to constantly repaint the walls and get the blood splatters off of it and get the, you know, it, the soot and all this stuff and the paint. and You know, it would just, it would create a mess. So is your argument that when somebody blows up in there, they just leave the blood on the walls? They don't wipe it down? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying it's easier to hide on brick. Well, I'm just saying that we we could put Bond in a Geo Metro and slap a coat of paint on the secret lair and not hurt a thing. Then it would be Jimmy Bond. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever works. (laughs) But anyway, okay, well, my Bond commentary aside, let's go to the break. When we come back, we've got to do some revising. We're going to revise our cigar scale. I'm, I'm man enough to admit when my view is not is too narrow, and I think we need to broaden our views. All right. Well, we'll be back with that and more after this. Shane here with this week's Cigar Under 8. I want to talk about the JFR Lunatic El Chiquito. This is the smaller of the Lunatic series. This is a 4.7 by 70. Oh, so I this, remember. You smoked this on the show. I smoked it on the show, and I enjoyed this cigar tremendously because I love the short cigar with the big ring gauge is one of my favorite treats because you can smoke it fast, but you can still get the complexity. Yeah. You can still get a lot of the joy. So, And um, they run 6 $7 each. Very good pricing on it. And there, the, the JFR across the line. I mean, if we're talking about across the line, all very good value for a dollar as well. Oh yeah, San Andreas wrapper, Nicaraguan binder and filler. Great cigar. Packs a lot of punch. Packs a lot of punch. A lot of complexity. So for next week, try El Chiquito, four point seven by seventy by JFR Cigars. Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. One of your hosts, Shane, sitting here across from Trey. Welcome back, everybody. What's your where are you at on the JFR? What's your thought halfway through the JFR? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little shy of halfway through. 
I noticed I was smoking a little quick. So I slowed down in the first half of the show just to make sure I made it to the end. I'm really enjoying it. Um, I retrohaled once and got a lot more out of it. Um, but it's, I mean, yeah, it's a Casa Fernandez Maduro. I mean, it's just, it's really, really good. I, Tasting-wise, my palate is, is blown out today. We, we, the, the weather being so nice, you know, and us sitting out and actually having a cigar before the show, which is something we don't normally do. So I'm coming in right off another cigar. So my, my palate's not picking up on any nuances or anything like that. But I can tell you I like it. To explain the Liga Pravada number nine, please allow me to explain this. My body is a temple. Into every temple you should burn an incense. And this is an incense worthy of my temple. <laughs> That's really the only way to describe the experience of a Liga number nine, especially the tubo. The tubos are something that if it wasn't, it's strictly financial is the reason I don't smoke tubos all the time because you're paying for a tube. Yeah. You're paying for a little less cigar, a little more tube. I mean, that's really what you're doing. But the the oiliness of the wrapper, the texture, the feel, a cigar that comes out of a tube has a different experience from a strictly feeling and smoking perspective of the same cigar that's never been in one. I agree. I think part of it become, is, is due to how closely it sits to the cedar. I mean, in a, in a cigar box, it's made out of cedar or at least lined with cedar. In that tube, you've got that cedar spill just wrapped right around it, it, caressing every inch of that cigar. You say that there wasn't a cedar spill in this tube. You could have just not <laughs> said anything <laughs> and just let that go because you and I both know most of the time there is. Well, and, and this does bring me to an interesting question. I wonder if I was aging cigars and I just pulled one out and put it in the tube wrapped it up in cedar and put it in the tube, how much different it would be a year from now. This may be an experiment I have to perform. Yeah, I, w I would be interested to, to know what that does to it. You know, you know, I've got some cigars that I'm aging. I should pull one that I'm aging out of that bundle out and just slip it in this tube and let it age and just right here on the label the date that I put it in. Yeah. And, I'll, and see what it does. It'd I'd be, be interested to see the difference. Yeah, I think it would. And the, the Liga is just wonderful. Um, it's not as strong as everybody thinks it is. No, I, I agree. And, and I, I had one last year. I've, you know, I usually have at least one a year. I, had, I think I had two last year. It's not something I smoke all the time. But, yeah, it, and I don't know if some of that is due to the fact that the blend has changed slightly since they were first released or, or what. But I, I remember it being a pretty stout cigar the first one I had many, many years ago. And I didn't find that it was just overpowering these last couple that I've had. No, it's, it's more balanced. This is definitely yeah. better balanced, and it's more just absolutely everything you want, everything you would expect a cigar of this caliber to be, it delivers. Now, we've had some listener feedback about our rating scale last week. Basically telling you you were wrong, as I recall. Uh, well, I wouldn't go that far. It was... The suggestion was made that a one to seven scale on a broad sweep of the, of the entire cigar is not enough. To, it's incomplete. Right. It's incomplete. So I'm going to propose a new scale. Okay. We're going to stay one to seven so that there is no middle. <laughs> We're going to, I think we need to have three categories. I think a cigar needs to receive a one to seven based on construction. Does it hold together? Does the wrapper stay on? How's the cut work? Things like that. The draw. The draw is probably the most crucial portion of that scale. Right. Um, we need to have a, a flavor. And all because the flavor is very important, regardless of how good the cigar smokes. If you can't enjoy the flavor, it's just not going to work. Right. Absolutely. And then we need to have the price. The pricing of the cigar now, but pricing... I, I think, don't know if you can do pricing on a scale. I think you can because I want to do it quantifiable in cigar for the money. Okay. I think so, we'll have to work that out. So like the, a perfect example, let's take the Camacho Corojo. The construction's always very good. Mm -hmm. The flavor is very good, but the price for the flavor doesn't necessarily line up. Yeah, it's, it's true, but at the same time, you have a hard way of creating a, a, a regular... 
I guess you have to, I guess you'd have to do price after you smoke the cigar. That would have to be the last thing you rate based, yeah. based on everything else. Because, you know, a $4 cigar, you can't necessarily give all $4 cigars a rating of one based on price. You know, you can't give all $30 cigars a one based on price as being, you know, unattainable, that sort of thing. So it kind of has to be, I, I think maybe value for money is maybe a footnote in the overall review, maybe more so than a number. Yeah, I think, and I think that's because like the, what the Charter Oak, let's take a Charter Oak. You know, it's going to be a six in construction all day long. Uh huh. And it's going to be a six, five or six in flavor all day long. Yeah. And price, it's going to be a six in price. Yeah. I mean, and if you average the three of those together, of course, it's a six. <laughs> so, <laughs> but there will be times that, okay, if we use our same scale and we take. Um, let me think of one that I'm disappointed in for the price. Tabernacle? Take a tabernacle. Well, I'm disappointed in the flavor, too, of the tabernacle. Oh, okay. I don't think tabernacle's got going for its construction. I actually like the tabernacle, uh, but it's a, it's a five. It, it's a low five for me. Um, maybe even, yeah, anyway. Um, but I think your price can actually make up for some of the, If it, you feel like you're getting a better value, take the JFR. Okay. Take the JFR. The construction of the JFR is going to be a five or six. I've had some that were a little wonky. Yeah. And, and flavor-wise, it's a five. It's a solid five. Yeah, it's middle of the road, good, easy smoking. But price? Yeah. It's going to change the scale. Yeah. Yeah. I, we'll, ha- we'll have to work out how to, how to actually quantify because you can go, you can be too expensive or you can be too cheap as well you know the the price can pull down the other ratings i guess is what i'm saying well you what you almost have to do is say okay a five is cigar worth the money a six is cigar value and seven is a a steal you should you know be arrested on your way out of the shop it's a padrone for three dollars Right. It would be a seven in price. Yeah, well, we can work that out. But I, I agree that does need to be part of it. Although you did say last week that when rating a cigar, price should not enter into it. I did, but I've, I have since revised my opinion. A, a, a brilliant intellect will always allow for room for improvement. I'm just, I'm just saying, like, I think value for dollar is, is a footnote in the overall review. But I think the rating needs to be the cigar standing on its own. Well, if you is there another factor that you should rate in your cigar? Other, I mean, you've got flavor, construction, price. Is there another factor? Or flavor, construction, draw, price. Uh, you can't put me on the spot like this. We're going to end up with a lot of dead air. I mean, does availability come involved? Come into it because you know we spoke about the special releases. Yeah. And the availability, but the I don't think the availability should impact the grade of the cigar. I don't think that's fairly judging the cigar. I think appearance. I think you and maybe cold draw, but I would, I would rather well cold draw's flavor. It is cold but, draw has to be put put into the flavor category, but it also can sometimes. But but the flavor's not going to be the same from the cold. Like you can get an idea. You know, I think of AJ Fernandez where you actually taste it on your lips, the spiciness from the cold draw. But by the time you do the cold draw, you're pot committed. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I mean, you, um, yeah, by the time, they're not going to let you cold draw it in the humidor. I, I mean, do th- I they do may have a demonstrator model, but you may not want to use that one. I do think appearance, though. You know, is it, uh, does it look, you know, how does it look? Do you, big veins, small veins, lots, you know, uh, I, I think there's something there. <laughs> Yeah, there is something about a thick and veiny cigar know, that's yeah, not necessarily yeah. going to be... <laughs> You're smoking on the west side of town, huh? <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's going to bear... We need more input. Everybody out there listening, thank you for your input last week. We need more input. I think our scale is incomplete, and I think we have to figure out... Because I do think it almost needs to be... 40% flavor, 40% construction, and 20% price. But I don't know how to make that math work. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, you have flavor, construction, and draw. 
construction and draw kind of go together, but not necessarily, because you can have a, a poorly drawing cigar that doesn't blow up on you, and you can have a good drawing cigar that splits and cracks and falls apart. So I don't well, know. We'll, we'll we'll spend some more time on it, but I'm I'm glad to see that you're uh, a man who can, you know, uh, evolve. I can definitely. I'm always flexible. I'm nothing if not flexible. We are still not going to allow decimal points. We will always round up or down, or well, round up, round down. Yeah. So, and all, but we will we will not allow decimal points. I still have principles that are involved in that. Well, speaking of being evolved, I need your opinion on something. So I've had a, a couple of interesting experiences in a cigar shop recently that I need to know, am I the a-hole or am I expecting too much or is the other person the one who's acting in the wrong here? So there is a cigar shop in town. I won't name it. And I'll, I'll try and keep this as vague as possible because it's nothing. I, I don't believe it's a fault of anyone there. I really think it may be my fault. So this particular shop has a full bar uh, and a humidor, and it's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a bar, kind of a cigar shop. It's mostly a cigar shop. Anyway, so I don't drink. I've talked about it on the show before. I don't drink anymore. So, but I do like to have something when I uh, usually buy a bottle of water. This particular shop, because of the fact that they have a full bar, does not offer sodas or waters or anything to buy out of a cooler. So typically when I go... I just get a glass of water, and they refill it. They're pretty good. There's one particular bartender, though, that the last few times I've been in there has completely ignored me. And I'm trying to figure out... Now, I go in there fairly regularly, and I'm usually pretty good to drop a dollar on the table when I leave and just kind of tip them for the water. Because I would pay for the bottle of water, but I don't have that option. But as we are becoming an increasingly cash-free society. I don't always have a dollar to drop on the table. And so I end up not tipping the guy. And I'd, I would rather drop some money down to show that I appreciate it. But last few times I've been in there, if, if I get a glass of water, it, it never gets refilled. But prior to, say, three months ago, attentive as anything. So is this a result of my not tipping him a couple of times that I've just kind of lost favor? Or am I expecting too much? Uh, what do you think? The answer is Labradors, cats, and parakeets. This is the When answer. you said you had thoughts on it, I should have been worried. This one's on me. This one is absolutely on me. Everybody out there, listen up. Take notes if you must. Buckle up, folks. There are three kinds of people in this world. There are Labradors, there are cats, and there are parakeets want to please don't give a crap and just so a labrador want if if you don't like a a labrador he will do everything in his power to win you over he wants your love he wants your affection he will throw himself at you my dog i can take him in a room full of people and he will run right to the one person that doesn't like dogs and try to win them over Ace is representative of the species of dog. He <laughs> takes his responsibilities very seriously. Then you have cats. Um, I'm not a cat person. But you have cats who, if you treat a cat super-duper well, someday they'll give you the nod. They may deign to let you pet them. They may eventually even somehow be familiar with you and decide not to eat your body if you drop dead of a heart attack in the kitchen. Um, There are people that are cats. And there are people that are parakeets that are just so dumb and so oblivious to everything going on around them that whether they have food or don't, whether you're nice to them or mean, whether you sing to them or cuss at them, they all have the same perspective. So you think maybe a parakeet? No, I think this guy, I do think this guy's a parakeet. I know who you're talking about. I believe him to be a parakeet, him or her. We, we don't want to get too specific. <laughs> well, I think the ship sailed on that one. You think, you think one. the parakeet's out of the bag? Yeah, yeah, I think so. He's kind of a little long in the tooth to be a bartender. Kind of um, smacks of Nashville failed musician. Okay, probably hadn't hit ever all the marks he wishes to hit in his life. 
and he has become a parakeet because I never see him treating anybody super well based on tip. I never see him bending over backwards and going out of his way to actually help people. Yeah, although the last time we were there, I think you even noticed, was smiling and laughing with one group, turned around and I asked for a glass of water, and I just got the death stare. Yeah, and well, when I wanted a drink, I had to go to the bar. You know, he, he walked past me four times before I walked up to the bar and said, I want one of these. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Is like, and, and again, I don't want to, you know, get the guy in trouble. I don't, you know, because I don't necessarily know that it's failing. I think it may be the, the lack of, I, I may be breaching etiquette in this regard. But I know that up until a few months ago, the service that I got in there was amazing. So I was just, I was wondering if it was my behavior that led to this, but you're saying it may just be. Yeah, you know, I don't think this is something you internalize. I think this is an external problem Um, because there's some Labradors that work there that are outstanding. Absolutely. I mean, they have a great collection of Labradors in this particular area you're talking about. Um, and there's there's some great Labradors now there, and there are some cats out there, but cats generally don't get into the bartending business. Usually not. Generally, your cats are your a different industry. They're almost a factory worker or type retail. industry. Yeah, retail, something like that. Rarely do you get in a hospitality business if you're not a Labrador or a parakeet. So I think that's the actual situation is that you want a Labrador, and I want a Labrador when I go into a shop. I do, too. I think if I'm hiring, I'm going to hire Labrador. Well, you are a Labrador, so that makes a little bit more sense. That may be the nicest thing you've ever called me. <laughs> <laughs> you've called me a son of a... But I didn't know that you meant that I was a Labrador. That was nice <laughs> yeah, you, that was exactly what I meant. I appreciate you getting that all together for me. That, that clarifies it up. But I think that is the summary of the problem. I don't think this is anything you're doing because you conduct yourself in a gentlemanly manner wherever you happen to be. And all you don't, you know, shake the gla- the ice in the bottom of your glass when the waitress comes by. Right. And, and that's the, like and I would and that's the other thing is I would be happy to pay for the water. It's not about the fact that it's free. Uh, but there's just no opportunity for that. And so, you know, if I had a bar tab where there was a line on the credit card receipt, you know, to drop a tip, I would. But it just, it's one of those, one of those peculiarities, I guess. It is. It, it is one of those things. It, it is worth mentioning. Decide who you are. Strive in life to be a Labrador. Your life will be easier if you're a Labrador. To an extent, though. Because at some point, that becomes taxing. If you're trying so hard to get everyone to love you, you, you also have to have the ability to externalize when someone doesn't and just kind of walk away. I do love that we're enough on the same wavelength that when I said Labrador cat and parakeet, you knew exactly where I was going. Yeah, well, I mean. <laughs> it, it, that, that proves to me that my, my symbolism is spot on in this particular area. So one more story to kind of hit tonight. Um, I was looking, and we're going to have to del- dig deeper into this. Next week, I'm going to give you a week to prepare, Trey. You're getting homework. Uh-oh. If we were to crown King Stogie, if we were to say this is the Cigar Man of the Year, by what categories would we judge this? And we started talking about this. It was, it was funny. You know, we kind of started talking about it along the same lines as the cigar rankings of there's not just one thing that goes into it. You know, it's it's uh, tell them tell them the kind of the background of this. so I was I was browsing today looking for things to talk about on the podcast and just doing my prep work, and I come across Tamer Hassan was crowned Cigar Smoker of the Year, um, and he did it without entering a stupid competition in Brussels or whatever. Yes, he did, and all he was crowned in 2017 as the Cigar Smoker of the Year. Um, I had 2018 up, but I ain't worried about that right now. The the point being, I couldn't find any criteria by which they determined this man was the Cigar Smoker of the Year. And I, and I believe that's more important to me than the name of the man that got it. Yeah. And I'll definitely for purposes of covering it on the podcast. So Cigar Aficionado actually has a list of the top 100 cigar smokers of the 20th century. Okay. Well, hit a few high points. 
Mark Twain. I'm going to start at number 20 and kind of work my way down. I don't want to get too far into the weeds, you know, um, which is funny because Zeno Davidoff made number 22. I think he probably should have He should been be a little, little bit higher up there. But I, Mark Twain's probably on the list. Churchill's on the list. Churchill is number one. George Burns? George Burns is number four. Uh, Groucho Marx. Groucho Marx, number... 12. Okay. Now, okay. They we put, should have done this game show style. We, we should have. We should have actually had had a third player and played Name That Cigar Smoker's Ranking. Al Capone and Fidel Castro both beat Groucho Marx. There's something wrong with this list. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, an unsung, a sleeper, an unsung hero of the cigar. Bill Clinton. Of the year. Uh, the, the Bill Clinton was covered in this, but I'm actually looking for it. It's actually Rhett Auerbach. Do you know who that is? The name is familiar. He was the um, coach for the, Ce- for the Celtics. Wait, hold on, not Celtics. Uh, yeah, Boston Celtics. And he would actually, in the waning minutes, if his team was way ahead, would sit on the bench and light up a cigar. That's pretty great. Of the basketball game. That is pretty great. And and he was hated by all the opposing team's fans because that seemed somewhat like gloating. It is a bit, but at a certain point, don't you earn it? Yeah. Hey, I got an idea, idea, folks. If you don't want him smoking a cigar at the end of the game, why don't you beat his team? Yeah. If you can't beat his team, then you cannot begrudge this man his cigar at the end of the game. See, I always say that it comes up usually around the fall when peewee football and, and uh, you know, high school football starts coming on. People start talking about the, the team that runs up the score on the other team. And they go, oh, why did you have to? No. If you don't like it, don't let them win. Right. It's, Nick, it's that simple. Nick Saban said it best. It's our job to score. It's their job to stop us. Yeah. I, you know, if, if I run up a 72 to nothing score, that's on you. So going down the list in the top 20, there is only one lady in the top 20. I bet I could give you 200 guesses and you would never guess the one lady. She sits at number 19 that is on the top 20. Matter of fact, I'll give you $5. Or, well, let's, let's not make it. Let's not cheapen it. Credits. I'll buy you a good cigar. If you can name in three guesses, three guesses or less, the one lady that's in the top 20 of the best cigar smokers of the 20th century. Oh, my gosh. I can't even, I can't even think of a notable female cigar smoker. I mean, Kobe Smulders comes to mind. That's one. Wrong. So I was trying to sneak that in. You weren't supposed to realize that that was an extra oh, no, guess. No, I was that trying counts. to. Uh, um, politician? Nope. Then I'll even sweeten the pot. It is an actress. Okay. So I was at least on the right track with my first guess. Um, let's run through. Give me a second. I don't want to leave okay, dead I'll, air. So I'll, keep going. I'll give you a moment to think about it and we'll hit a couple of the other top twenties. Um, Francis Ford Coppola and I was director of the Godfather and apocalypse. Now his um, Jack Warner, the head of Warner brothers actually got him into cigar smoking, which is a, that's a pretty cool story. Yeah. Ron Perlman. If yeah. you've ever looked at any kind of cigar, meme you've seen Ron Perlman. Yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger, which I don't think was 15 for Arnold Schwarzenegger. I think he should be much further up the list. I would I would say he's top 10. Well, because 15 Schwarzenegger and 14's Michael Jordan. See, I knew Jordan would be on the list. I think Schwarzenegger should be above Jordan. Yeah, I definitely think But I do like them being side by side. I think that's appropriate, but I think maybe 10 and 11. Number nine, Jack Nicholson. Okay, absolutely. Absolutely. Number 10 is Babe Ruth. Hmm. And I'll, which, if you're going to call them the best cigar smoker of the 20th century, they kind of have to be known for their cigar. I, I was going to, I was exactly going to say that. You know, he, he's notable for, of the fact that he smokes cigars, but I, I don't think of him as a notable cigar smoker. You well, know, I mean, Michael he, Jordan, I think of as a cigar smoker. Yeah. 
I mean, obviously, basketball player first. You know, baseball player twelfth. But <laughs> I don't think it's. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Well, um, Milton Berle. Oh, that, yeah. If you've never sat down, if you you owe it to yourself, if you've never YouTubed a little bit of Milton Berle, if you're from a generation that never got to enjoy Milton Berle, you owe it to yourself. YouTube a little Milton Berle. And all. It's well worth actually taking a run at it. <sighs> okay. Number three is Fidel Castro. That's way too high. And he gave up smoking cigars in 1985. <laughs> Which, he still died anyway, so why give up cigars? Right. Um, I, th- I think I would, I would love to see their criteria. Again, aficionados should give me their criteria for how they're ranking these. Then some of their rankings might make sense. Number two, John F. Kennedy. Okay. I can, I can definitely understand that. Uh, politically, it, I, it's good to know this list is not politically motivated because number seven is Bill Cosby. Okay. And, okay, all the Cosby stuff is bad, but he did do a lot of good. You should not totally be able to paint Cosby as a villain because there was a lot of... He's like anybody. He has good and he has bad. Yeah, but he has a lot of bad. I mean, that's... that. You know, we've talked before about separating the artist from the art and I usually can do a pretty good job of that. He's one of those that I just, because of the nature of what, what and we don't have to get into it now, but that, that's one of those that I do have a little bit of a hard time putting him on that list. Okay, so you've got two guesses left. Uh, and I've gotten no closer. I'm, gonna, uh, I'm trying to think of actresses that I've like seen on Aficionado or... I got nothing. Whoopi Goldberg made number <laughs> 19. Never would have gotten that. Never would have gotten that. I, I should have promised you a Padron 50th. I'd ne- you'd never got that in 200 guesses. Mm. But she is, um, you know, she's been nominated for Oscars, and she prefers small cigars, but she has been known to light up a Cohiba. This oh. is from the Aficionado article. Interesting. But, for next week, let's be sure we kind of figure out what our um, what our criteria would be if we were go if we were going if we were going to name the cigar smoker of the year, and then let's also if we were going to name the one regular that comes into our home shop that we would label cigar smoker of the year. How would we go about determining? Because I think for me, one of the first things I think about we kind of talked about this earlier before we start recording. I know we're running long, so I'll keep this short, but is how much good they do for others. I mean, we talk about the gentlemanly pursuit that is cigar, and part of being a gentleman is having a philanthropic spirit. And so I think for someone, like, I think about um, the Fuentes and how much they do for charity. And I feel like to be Cigar Smoker of the Year, you have to be as known for your cigar smoking as what you do for others and lifting other people up. So that's one of those key criteria that I see, whether it's for other cigar smokers or just for other people in general. Well, and as we tie it up into cigar smokers being, you know, a cigar being a unit of time, that comes into it. You know, can you stand to be, you know, the person may know everything about cigars, but may be a bore to actually sit around and talk about cigars with. Did you see Steve Harvey on that list? He He's not in the top 20. He, oh, my gosh. He should be top 15. Yeah, he definitely should be much further up than Anytime what he Anytime you is. see him doing an interview, like, man on the street kind of, in, like, where people are just kind of chatting with him, he always has a cigar in his hand. Well, it's like Sylvester Stallone's number 42. That's, that's a lot further down a list than Sylvester Stallone should be because yeah. he's, he's a pretty prolific cigar smoker. But anyway, we'll, we'll come back to that next week. I'm interested to kind of t- step away from that and, and kind of figure some stuff out. In the meantime, we do want to get your feedback on this. Tell us your categories. Tell us your criteria and who you think should be in it. You can get a hold of us at info at the cigarcast.com, facebook.com slash the cigarcast, and Instagram and Twitter at the cigarcast. Thomas Edison, number 41. Had no idea he even smoked cigars. I, I didn't either. I, he invented the light bulb. I, I was hoping he invented the lighter. That would have been great. <laughs> but uh, whoever invented the lighter, they should be way up on this list. That was Ronson. 
Was Ronson the built, invented the lighter? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll have to look to see if he's on the list. But thank you, everybody, for listening this week. Pronounce judgment on JFR. Very good. Uh, solid five. The Liga, number nine. It's the rare seven. It's got to be, the, especially in the tubo, especially in this size, this is the rare seven for me. This is as good as a cigar gets. Wow. Even knowing that the flying pig is also a seven. Right. Wow. And okay. I, will, I don't want to limit myself to only ever having one seven. I know, but you, you also mentioned last week about kind of the, the, the jewel of the line being part right. of that criteria. So you, I, don't, that, you don't want to fill the, fill the seven list up too heavy. Right. I got you. Well, anyway, yeah, actually, if we include price in it, I'd go up to a six on this. But I would like to have it in a Toro instead of the Robusto just for personal preference. But anyway. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening this week. And until next week, have a great cigar and think well of us. (laughs) 